Welcome to the All In Your Head podcast, where we get all in your head. We are a mental health podcast focused on anything and everything mental health. We'll have special guests ranging from mental health experts, mental health advocates, and just everyday people with real struggles. We will share laughs, we will share cries, but most importantly, we will have real conversations about mental health. So with that being said, let's get all in your head. Woohoo! People don't understand that you get one brain and you can't fix it. You know what I'm saying? So I think I really like what you, when I listened, I was coming out of the mountains, moving the cows and, and I, <laughs> I popped it on my Bluetooth and I was like, man, I'm, you know, I, I usually, I'm, I'm really reclusive for, you know, a lot of reasons, but I think the main reason is because of my head. And so when I heard that, I was like, you know, it was reassurance that I should be doing stuff like this, you know yeah, what I mean? For sure. So, it was funny because we were kind of texting back and forth to, to coordinate this, you know, this recording. And you had said that, uh, you know, you had to meet later because you're trying to get the cattle out of the mountain. And I thought that was an expression at first. So I had to like, think about it and talk to a couple of people like, what does that mean? <laughs> because that's a world that I don't, I, you know, I grew up kind of in the city. So that's a world I don't know anything about. Yeah. So there's a couple of reasons. So you take in, we got, we got uh, winter pastures, spring pastures and summer pastures. And so right now we're in the summer pasture. And so we're bringing them out. Um, we run a registered herd. So, which is purebred. And so we got to give preconditioning shots, which is pre weaning and weaning's taking the baby off the cow, cow and then getting them ready for um, either a feedlot or in our case, um, we get them ready to sell as seed stock. So we're getting them out. And then we're also leaving grass because you never want to camp on a pasture because of you have to go back to it. So we're pulling everything out to bring down and, and start working our, do all of our fall cattle work. And so it's kind of a busy time of year, but, and then, you know, going back to that is we got these rotations. And so, we try to uh, keep pastures fresh and then also save some for uh, wildlife. And yeah. so, and we're kind of getting pretty smoky up here and fire danger is pretty high mm-hmm. and hunting season started. So I'd rather be ahead of the fire than behind the fire. So but that doesn't metaphorically, that doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, you want to be behind the fire because the fire's <laughs> already went through, but in yeah. this case where I want to get out so that they're in bottom where it's manageable. What time did your day start today? Oh, usually starts about 4.30. Okay. So my, my started at five. So we're close. <laughs> yes. I went to the gym though. Oh, did you? It's, it's a little yeah. different, a little different, but. I, I had to prep. I had a, I had to uh, unfortunately go to a funeral. Um, mm-hmm. A guy that um, 31 year old friend of mine in the cattle business that passed away from cancer. And so I went there and then been hauling hay till um well, i texted you at 6 <laughs> right, right, right. i'm getting home at 8 30 so got a little uh montana beef in my belly and and got ready for this so. uh, if it's okay i'd like to just kind of talk through uh what led you to the nfl i think that you have a very unlikely story uh, that brought you into the nfl i i saw that you started off with the eight-man team in chester montana and i don't know how many NFL player started off in eight man. I, I guess it's uh, pretty small, but yeah. Tell me about uh, you, just kind of the beginning of your football career. So I played, I started playing football in seventh and eighth grade, played my s- freshman and uh, sophomore year, 
I broke my thumb, I think my sophomore year. So didn't play a lot, never played varsity. It was JV. We had a pretty, um, a decent program. And then my junior year, I got in a motorbike wreck and broke my ankle. And so I couldn't play my senior year or my junior year and then wasn't going to play my senior year and then made a deal with a buddy and ended up going out for football. I was a basketball player. I mean, that was what I loved to do. Um, I was recruited to go to Carroll College off the basketball floor. Ended up going to Carroll and playing four years, started all four years, was first team all conference and all American and all that stuff. And then ended up signing with the Detroit Lions as a free agent and ended up playing seven years. So that's kind of it in about 30 seconds. Yeah, that was a, that was a quick rundown. I'm sure there's a lot more to that story. Uh, how many how many students were in your high school? I'm, I'm assuming it's a small high school for it to be amen. Yeah, so we had, um, we had uh, I think, 32 kids in our class, but like generally we ran around that 110 kids in high school, and we were in a town of 1,000 people, and I think they're down into the 50s or 60s now, and they've co-opted with two other towns um, down the road, so um, rural Montana is shrinking, and, and schools are getting smaller, and co-ops are um, becoming, you know, the new norm. Yeah. What position did you play in high school? I played uh, like a receiver tight end and then linebacker and D end. Yeah. And so we kind of, depending on what kind of front we were on defense, if we were in a four man front, I'd play um, defensive end. And if you're we a three man front, I'd play linebacker. Yeah. Eight man is, you know, trying to explain it to everybody. Like what's what, how do you, how does eight man? So you just take out the tackles mm-hmm. and then you take out a receiver. And so okay. you're, you got, you know, two guards, a center, two backs, a quarterback. Um, and then uh, you're, you're, you can have your tight end. So we'd split it out and do all sorts of stuff. It was, and we played on, I think it's a 40 by 80 yard field. So, okay. I was going to ask you if you remember the type of offense that you ran in high school. Yeah. So we ran like dive, right, dive, left, option, <laughs> right, option, left. That's the know. same offense that I did in elementary school. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> It's funny because when I got to 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 Detroit, Steve Mariucci was a coach, and that's what he called me. He called me eight man all the time. So, uh, it was pretty funny. Did you ever meet any other NFL players that started off playing eight man? So there's actually a kid from in our conference. His name, I think it was Scott Curry from Valier, Montana. I went for the Grizzlies. He ended up signing. I think getting drafted by the fifth round um, with the Green Bay Packers. And so, and I think there's some eight men in Texas and then I think Wyoming, Wyoming might just have six men. I'm not sure, but yeah. Oh, Idaho does. And I think I want to say that uh, the linebacker, I don't know if he's still with Dallas, but the kid out of Boise state, I think, I think he played like eight man football. Okay. Okay. But I don't know him, but I just know I think he played eight man. But I think it's fair to say that it's pretty rare. Yeah. To be an NFL uh, starting off playing Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so then you went to Carroll College. And what position did you play in Carroll at Carroll? Just tight end. Yeah. yeah. Played tight end. I, 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 you know, and I probably would have got recruited by some bigger schools, but I was, you know, a late bloomer. And um, I grew a bunch between my sophomore and junior year. And then um, I only weighed like 185 pounds when I graduated high school. So, yeah um that's what my football roster said too but I I wasn't 185 but that's what it said (laughs) I was 510 185 but I was probably actually 5'6 
165. Yeah, you got to add those, you know, the, <laughs> yeah. the intimidation factor. Yeah. And also wore 46. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, so that gave me a little more, you know, beef, uh, having a oh, higher yeah. number. <laughs> so I went there and I started as a true freshman. Um, I was first team all conference all four years. Um, you know, I was a All-American second team my sophomore year and junior year, and then first team All-American my senior year. And then I was the offensive player of the year um, in our conference. And then I think I was like runner up national player of the year. So like anything, I mean, and to talk about awards and stuff like that, it's, it's, it's the football is truly, in my opinion, the, the, the ultimate team game. So, you know, with that comes a lot of people doing a lot of things and being successful, you know, winning, we won uh, three conference titles, went to the national semifinals two years and then won it my senior year. So, I mean, we were successful and with success comes accolades. So sure. um, it was, it was fun. I kind of missed those days, you know, yeah. like I kind of want to wish we could go back to college and, and not have a lot of worries, you know? Yeah. And Kara college was NAIA, correct? Yeah. And still, you know, not the most, um, you know, likely path to the NFL. And Without a doubt, there's been a couple guys, one guy in front of me, he got actually, actually got a tryout with the lions and then uh another kid went to houston for a for a rookie stuff and then another kid i think went to to kansas city and another kid went to green bay or something like yeah. that so okay we've had a few go but not i'm the only one to play on an active roster okay so then undrafted you get uh sounds like you got to try out with the lions and you made the team, right? At some, at some yeah. point you made the team and that, that had to have been like a pretty awesome day, right? When you found out that you made an NFL team, what, what was that day like? It was, it was pretty cool, you know, cause I, you know, going to Carroll college and coming from a, a, a small town and Carroll's a private Catholic school. So I accrued some debt. And so when I got made the active roster, I was like, all right, I'm going to get a game check. And I knew how much my game check was roughly going to be. And so I could pay off my student loan. And then after that, it was just going to be gravy. You know, I wouldn't have anything yeah. to worry about because all my debt was paid off and I was just, and I was doing what I love. So yeah. um, I was excited. And I remember calling my parents and stuff and, and, uh, and I was, you're proud because you're representing a state and a community. And so um, there was a lot of pride there. And uh, I can tell you exactly where I was at. I was in my hotel room and, um, in Dearborn at, I think it's, uh, it's over by the Henry Ford museum. I can't remember the name of the mm -hmm. hotel or the, the place, but it, it was, it was an exciting. It was one of the, you know, a great, one of the best days of my life. Yeah. So who do you get the phone call from? You don't. So in, in the NFL, no news is good news, right? <laughs> okay. So if no one called me and, uh, the cuts happened and I called my agent and I said, so are we good? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I think you're good. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's really exciting. So kind of going into the season, uh, did you have any expectations as to kind of what your NFL career would look like? Or are you just like, Hey, I'm here. I'm just going to make the best of it while I'm here. Like what, what, what was your thought process when you actually made the team? 
So I'm, I'm like a live in the moment guy. Right. Yeah. So I, you know, you, you um, plan for the worst, expect the best. And, and so I was just, you know, focused on that play, that game, and then, you know, so forth, that practice, that film session. And, and so that's kind of how I approach everything now and did back then. And so, um, I didn't know where it was going to take me, you know, I, you, 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 everybody knows that the NFL, um, is, is pretty cut and dry or pretty cutthroat. And so you could be there in the bottom end of the roster flips so much, you know, but my rookie year, the first game we called our, our two tight end set. So I actually got to start the game and yeah, so nice. that was a pretty cool deal. And then yeah. I think I ended up starting, I don't know, 10 or 12 games in my rookie year. And so, and then, then, then your mentality becomes, well, I belong here. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so you kind of start building confidence and, 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 um, you know, wanting to do a little bit more. And so, um, it was kind of cool. I really grew my rookie year as a person and as a human, because, you know, I grew up in a small town. I've never been to the city. I flew on an airplane once or twice, um, and um, I live simple. And so it was kind of a weird little deal for me. And it was cool mm -hmm. because I was a sociology major. So I was always kind of studying people and, and things. And so getting out there and, and mingling with different walks of life from, from the inner city to, to the south to east coast, west coast, you know. And so it was pretty, it was cool. And, and, um, and along the way, you know, you make quite a few friends and and um, and you get to learn about so many different cultures. So there's so much more, you know, besides the football part of it that that um, really helped me in, in, in preparing for post-career. So yeah, yeah, for sure. So your first year, were you number two in the depth chart, number three? I was I kind of rotated with a guy. I started, you know, quite a few games. I played our H-back position, so I was our number one H-back. So I was our swing tight end that would motion, um, play fullback, split out, do all mm -hmm. sorts of stuff. And then I played on uh, on all the core special teams. And so punt, punt return, kickoff, kickoff return. And then I did PAT. And another thing that really saved my ass was I was, I was a long snapper, and mm -hmm. I, could, I could long snap. I was a backup place kick holder okay. for a few games and so um kind of did it all yeah you know one of the things I want to talk to you about is that you know you had kind of an unlikely story into the NFL and you made it into the NFL but you're still in a situation that at any moment it could go away right yeah and so I have an assumption that because of that you sacrificed your body you kind of really just put yourself out there in ways that maybe other people didn't because you were playing for your position every play, every game. Is that accurate? Uh, absolutely. I mean, like I said earlier, that bottom end of the roster is, you know, a revolving door. So, you, I mean, you're doing everything you can and, and, and playing reckless, yeah. you know, and trying to establish yourself as a dominant tough guy you know what I mean like I wanted to be like the enforcer on the hockey team you know yeah. um, I'm not afraid to throw down I'm not afraid to to bust into a wedge or be the wedge and so yeah. you know 
with that comes some risk, you know? Sure. So, and now, you know, I guess I'm seeing some of the effects of that. Yeah. So was that something that you decided on your own or do you feel like that was just kind of an unspoken thing in the NFL that if you're in that position, that's just what you do? It's kind of both. You know, my personality is like that. Like I'm a guy that is just, um, I'm all in or not in at all. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So uh, my deal was, is, is I, I, I made that person, you know what I mean? And, and because I felt like that was the person that I needed to be in order to stay on the team. So, mm -hmm. um, and a lot of guys, you know, I grew up in a small town where we did crazy stuff all the time. So yeah. doing that kind of thing on the football field and, and being reckless was, it came to be naturally. And so some of these guys have never, you know, lived life like that. So I thought, you know, me mentally thinking is like, that's my upper edge on these people. You know? yeah, yeah. So, so you make it through that first year and, uh, and then what happens? Everything kind of gets kind of muddy from, mm -hmm my second year up to my, my seventh. And so, um, walk me through, I don't know if it's easy to talk about, hard to talk about, but kind of walk, walk me through, you know, near the end of your career and kind of how it, how it all ended. So I, I sustained a concussion. Um, I got two of them. I got one on like a Sunday and then we played a Thanksgiving game. And I got another one. And the second one was really bad. Like I started seeing things got weird mm -hmm. and I felt, you know, um, different. Anyway, I went to a doctor. She said that I'd had to sit out, you know, a couple games. And so I sat out a couple games and it was kind of, it was frustrating because at that day and age, I mean, concussions have really taken a turn for like people being more progressive and, and, mm -hmm. and, talking about them but back then it was like your bell got rung you know what i mean yeah. and i didn't want the 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 stipulation or the stigma that i was concussion prone or you know i had a soft head or whatever and so you know you take these baseline tests and and you know at some point you start to get used to the questions but also at that that first time i did it i didn't um i don't i don't think obviously i didn't do very well and um and it kind of frustrated me because I, I physically felt fine you know i just was mentally had some issues and i think that's the thing like when you talk about mental health is that people just they don't understand it because you know the people that are going through it understand it very well but because they don't they don't get how you can't snap out of that you know what mm -hmm. i mean so um and that's what i was trying to do is get my my brain cleared and then anyway, my last, my last concussion, I lost my helmet. I got hit under the chin by a D lineman and then my helmet came off and I think my head contacted the ground and that one was bad. And, and to be honest with you, I don't know if I fully recovered from that hit yeah. um, or, the, you know, whether it was that hit or the multiple concussions prior to that added on with that. So anyway, I took, you know, I started, I was abusing pain pills and, and alcohol, um, trying to cope with, you know, what you're dealing with mentally. And so, yeah. um, you know, you know, this is that, you know, changed my diet, um, removed alcohol, became very active um, and work became my medicine and yeah. sunlight and being outdoors yeah. and working the ranch. And so 
but yeah, that, you know, the concussion thing is, is something that I'm now comfortable with talking to people about before it was, it was a sign of weakness to me, not, not to, you know, that's what I labeled it as. And so I just don't want anybody to have to go through the dark days that I did and the, you know, the detox and you have to do and, You know, so that's the thing that for me to talk about it, it's, it's, it's in doing things like this is important now to me. It's more important than talking. You know, if you were a sports reporter, I'd have told you, probably not going to do it. You would have told me to kick rocks, right? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I'm doing that. This is my hobby. I do this for free, right? And I, the reason why I do it is, well, first of all, because I've had my own mental health challenges throughout my life, anxiety and depression. And it's one of those things that I feel like never completely goes away. And you just kind of learn how to deal with it. And, you know, my dealing with it is exercise. Like you were saying, exercise, trying to eat right, really paying attention to my relationship with drugs and alcohol and make sure that's, you know, where it needs to be. Sunlight, as you're saying, you get a lot of vitamin D3 from the sunlight, which is an antidepressant. That's like so important. And so I've learned that for myself. And, you know, I think there's a lot of people out there that are, out there who are still trying to get it figured out. The world the last couple of years has been rough. And I think that there's a lot of people who are struggling right now. And so I started this podcast to give a voice to people like you because you have a message and you have an important message, but also to help people. And I hope that you know your message gets out there. Even if it helps one person, we've done our job, right? Like we're spending an hour, hour and a half on a on a Wednesday night, you know, and we're just talking. And if our message helps someone, you know, just one person, I think we've, you know, spent our time very well. You know, and I think the thing that this is what really brought it out, you know, Richard Salam, who is a Heisman Trophy winner, when he kills himself on a park bench in Denver, Colorado. Yeah. I read that article in the USA Today and I contacted the guy that wrote it, Chris Corman. And I said, um, Hey, I got, I want to talk about this yeah. because I don't think the NFL was doing enough. And I still don't think they're doing enough, you know, besides lip service. And so for me, it was like, this is something that I have to speak on because I, when I walked away from the game, I didn't, I stopped talking, you know, to people. Um, I became reclusive. I hit out, I did, you know, I disappeared. And so yeah. And a lot of people didn't understand what was going on because prior to that, I was an outgoing person. I like to be out around people and stuff. So, you know, being able to talk about it and, and, and you probably can relate to this too, is also part of the healing process. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? So yeah, I'm, I'm, um, this is doing stuff like this is important to me now. Yeah. You know? And I think, too, is like with my children, I want them to show that, you know, even though you have some faults, that being a role model and stepping out out of your, your comfort zone and and talking about it is OK. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? They know I'm tough as hell. They know that I'm, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, not a very emotional person. But when I do speak about something, it's because I care, you know, yeah. so, you know, I, I read that you know, one of the things that you said was you just, you, you waited for a chance to kill yourself. That's deep, right? Like that's, yeah. that's as dark as it can get, but kind of walk me through that dark time. So like, I remember, you know, I came home after that game and um, I was hopped up on Vicodin and I was puking, you know, 
um, I was seeing blurred vision, all that stuff that comes with concussions. And I remember getting to my house and just sitting in a recliner and thinking, cause I knew that my career was more than likely over. Mm-hmm. And so it took you kind of further down that road. I went and did some tests. I had some issues with the doctor. I just wanted him to pass me so I could play. Um, I was at the end of my last year on my contract. I was going to try to play three more years. I wanted to play 10 years. And so I'm sitting there and all this stuff that you're processing it all. And then, and then I go do all these tests. I get, I get, um, get a call from the GM and, and, and they tell me that they're going to put me on IR. And so I called a buddy, flew him out and then, uh, flew my wife home. And then my dog and I, we, we, and, and, and my buddy took off back from Montana because I needed to get out. And so I came home and I was just, you know, drinking heavy, um, not exercising and just kind of fell into it, trying to play, play somebody that I really wasn't at that time. You know what I mean? Just trying to blend in, um, act normal. And then all, all that shit comes down on you. You know, I just get, Mm -hmm. I, I fly back go get my locker, get all my stuff, do all the year end stuff. And then, uh, I get home, I get my shoulders are pretty messed up. And so I get the, an MRI on them. And as I'm coming out of the MRI center, I get a call from, uh, the GM, the head coach, um, my doctor that I had out there and, uh, my position coach, they told me that I need to retire. Hmm. And then, um, as, as messed up as it is, like they were like, but if you want to keep playing, we won't let anybody know, you know, that this is the type of stuff. That's sure, sure. Well, I kind of break down, you know, I'm, you know, broke down on the phone. I I'm sitting in a parking lot and uh, you know, I don't recall the days or the weeks after that, but you know, drinking, um, using pills um because i i mean the pills were like my hap i call them happy pills right so mm-hmm. they make me happy they make me socially in not so awkward um take away the anxiety um everything that that you're looking for when you're there after that and things settled in like in drinking and i don't i can't tell you the months or the, how how long it was after i received that call but then the dark thoughts start coming in where you're like, man, is this worth it? You know, Mm -hmm. I'm tired of fighting it. And uh, am I going to get better? Can I identify as somebody else besides a football player? And so the little stuff all of a sudden gets magnified into huge things where you're just like, you're just losing your mind and you're going circles and your mind won't stop. And you're fighting these these voices that are, you know, like, uh, you're, you're not tough enough to play the game. And, and so I'm sitting there and I'm fighting these thoughts and I'm going back and forth. And then my wife and, and daughter went out to Spokane, you know, and through that process, and, uh, you know, I had to have a daughter, right. And I'm probably not the best father at that time. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't really recall the birth of my daughter and, and my kids until I, I finally seek some help. But anyway, I was ready to be done. And, um, and then, you know, um, I think my, my, my oldest boy was born, Bodie was born. And I was to that point to where I was going to kill myself and just waiting for an opportunity when everybody was gone. 
anyway, I, I drank real heavy one night and I woke up and told my wife that I'm done drinking and I'm going to try to fix myself. And she kind of like laughed, you know, because I'd said it numerous times. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, I quit drinking and things started to get clear, you know, not it didn't, it was getting better, but it still wasn't great. And so I finally seek some help. Um, I had some people reach out to me um, and say, hey, I got some people that can run some tests, do some things for you and try to make your quality of life better. And so I ended up seeing a doctor in Missoula and he, you know, I still have these suicidal thoughts, right? Drive off the road. There's a cliff. I can go off right here. Look like an accident because I don't want to go out like that. Right. And so I go see this doctor. And at this point, to get me leveled out, I'm, on, I'm taking like 14 pills a day, um, antidepressants, um, anti-seizures, because I'm taking so much um, pain meds. Mm-hmm. And so finally, um, I saw him, I got leveled out. He was running tests on me, um, balance tests, and I'm doing things that I normally, you know, it's easy for me, like to stand on one leg and close your eyes and stick your arms out, you know, and I was falling over. And I couldn't walk straight, um, couldn't focus, couldn't remember, remember anything. I knew faces, but not names. And um, I just fought the, the whole the whole depression thing for I don't even know how many years. Yeah. Anyway, my turning point came when I when I decided I'm I'm done with the the pharmaceutical stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I stopped, stopped taking all those pills. I mean, I was taking a thing to help me focus. And um, for a lot of people, they're in a dark place and they'll continue to be in a dark place unless there's some level of disruption. So what was the disruption for you? What was, what was the aha moment where you're like, I can't do this shit anymore? I have my kids. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, because I, in America, you see so many families that are broken, right? Mm-hmm. And I didn't want my family to be like that. And then it, it almost became like my focus. Like, I ch- I'm going to change everything. Because I mean, I wasn't a good father when I was like that either. You know, I wasn't a good husband, a brother, a son. You know what I mean? But my aha moment came, I think, you know, prior to my dad dying, I was like, I'm going to be done just drinking it it was like a new challenge for me and i i'm, I'm gonna quit taking all these meds and so and, de- and so i detoxed for like two days i sat yeah. in the bed and shook and sweated and hot and it was absolutely terrible and then started doing i really got into bow hunting and and doing outdoor stuff and actually interacting with my children mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, my kids were my aha moment and I want to walk my daughter down the aisle, you know? So those are the things that, that drive me today. And uh, to be transparent is just because I get through that, that period, just the the last three weeks have been terrible for me. And now I'm starting to come back out of it. Right. And so it's a roller coaster. I call it the peaks and valleys and, Mm -hmm. and you enjoy the peaks. And then, you know, you got to fight like hell through the valleys because you don't know when, you know, you start thinking about death and you start thinking about the negativity and you can go down that Mm -hmm. spiraling effect. Just to a point, you know, um, with people that are using medication, I understand why schizophrenic people get off medicine. You know, before I didn't understand, I'm like, well, why would you, 
not take that stuff to make you better. You know what I mean? But there's a fog that follows you around with that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. There's the side effects of everything. So it made me really open my eyes to the mental health issue that, that faces our country. Yeah. Do you feel like you had mental health kind of lingering mental health challenges, even going into the NFL and college, you feel like, or this was all new to you? It was all brand new. You talk to guys that I knew, you know, throughout my career and and before my NFL career. And I I got tired of answering the question, you know, what's, what's up, man? Why don't you come hang out and do stuff? But when you're socially awkward and you're hearing these voices and you think people are talking about you and you think that they're looking at you funny, which they're not, but that's what you're thinking. So you're sitting there fighting it and you're trying to have a conversation with them and you can't look past like like there's something on their shirt or I hear this I'm stimulated by a noise over here and so I felt like I was dumb and that they were judging me and so and even they weren't and so you know trying to figure out how do I control that and and I still struggle with it to this day you know what I mean like you know doing it doing a podcast like this and trying to stay focused is really really tough for me because I'm looking at your background and I see your bookshelf and I, this thing over on the mantle and, 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 and trying to stay focused with you and not yeah. like trying to think about what's going on. So those are the things, but I think the thing that's really helped me is being transparent. Yeah. Right. And so when I talk to somebody, I always say, Hey, listen, I'm paying attention, but I got this noise going mm-hmm. on behind me that, that I'm, I'm easily stimulated or overly stimulated. Yeah. And so Um, I deal with that and, uh, you know, but being transparent and, 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 and being vulnerable and to a, to an extent to, to to just be honest with people. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. You know, I, I'm a therapist and I work with people and, you know, I talk about mental health as managing your internal world and then also managing your external world. Your internal world is your thoughts. There's a lot work that needs to be done and controlling your thoughts to help you to not be anxious, to be depressed. And a lot of it starts here, right? It's all in your head podcast for a reason, because a lot of it starts all in your head, but then there's also, you have to manage your external world. And there's things that you can do to, to manage the outside world, to help your mental health as, as well. So what do you do from like an internal perspective? You know, what are those thoughts that come up for you that you have to fight off or you have to, you have to replace with something different? You know, what are those thoughts that come up that you really have to manage? Like the negative ones, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, you're not going to get that done. You don't have time. You got to be there. You're overcommitted here. You know, it's just the, the constant, you know, like, like the negative. Well, what if this happens? Yeah. This happens? And, and so what I end up doing is I just sit there and I take, you know, um, a deep breath and I think, you know, all right. You've done this year in, year out. You're going to get it done. It's not going to go as you think it's going to go, but you're going to end up doing it and you're going to be fine. Yeah. And so I talked to my wife and my wife says the same thing and the reassurance and. And, you know, there's this habit of thought. There's a lot of different habits of thoughts that people get into, but one of them is called should statements where basically you have all these thoughts of like, "Ah, I should have done that. Or if I would have done that. And I would imagine in your type of situation, you have a lot of those that you have to fight off, right? What do, what is that like for you? It's like exactly what you said. I think that that's, that's the best way to, to, to label that is the should have statements. And 
so I, how I fight it off is, is, is it in my control? Mm -hmm. I can't go back. I can learn from it and move forward. And so that's what I always choose to do is just learn from it and move forward. Am I still upset about it? Absolutely. Yeah. But my anger, I have to learn how to like, just kind of ease on out. And and sometimes it has to come out through physicalness, right? So yeah. like if I'm in somewhere and I got a branch or a stick or whatever, I can hit, hit on something. Right. You know what I mean? And so, um, you know, I've been aggressive my whole life. And so that's my way of releasing it. You know what yeah. I mean? And so, and sometimes I punch a steering wheel or, or yeah. the side of a hay bale, you know <laughs> what I mean? So a you lot know. of people have a lot of people have what they call restless aggressive energy that's this energy inside of them that they have to get out in some way and if you don't for a lot of people if they don't get it out in a let's call it a positive way uh, it'll come out in a negative way and i'm glad that you have outlets to to get that out in a more positive way you know there's an expression that we use a lot as well or at least i use in the field uh it's called stop shitting on yourself right so Sounds like you've learned the skill of of, of stopping um, shitting on yourself. Well, you know, too is is I've started to see a, a counselor, um, yeah. and and just to talk about it, and it's really been beneficial. Like I need it; it's part yeah. of my it's part of my weekly schedule. Yeah, and that's tough. You know what I mean? Like I'm a guy. I'm a I'm a big guy, and, mm-hmm. and just but I've been really really um, vocal about it with people that I'm seeing somebody yeah. um, to help me through this time, because at the end of the day, I mean, we should all be trying to better ourselves, right. Mm-hmm. To better ourselves to society, um, to our family, um, to our community and to, to where we can be productive, but also we can uh, contribute to the betterness of it. And so, yeah seeing that seeing a counselor is 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 really paid off you know um, everything's kind of coming together and and you know i don't know with your deal if you ever felt like well when's the wheels gonna fall off you know Mm -hmm. what i mean again and so you you sit there and you go back and forth but therapists and counselors give you the tools to learn how to ground yourself like i work on grounding like by Mm -hmm. rubbing my hands or my pants um doing things that bring me back into, uh, as she says, the moment, you know, and so um, trying to take that stuff. Now, man, if you would, if, if you would have had me seen a therapist <laughs> when I was 18, 20 years old, it'd have been like a, a clown show, you know, That's, yeah. messing around. That's funny. Is it, did you find your therapist through the NFLPA or is that something so, you did on your own? So what I did, I'm fighting the NFL. The NFL has has left a lot of guys behind. Yeah, and I'm not looking for a handout. I'm just looking for. Uh, uh, I make a living doing what I'm doing, raising cattle. Yeah, um, but I'm looking for something to nest egg for my children because I have, you know, a, a, when you're so in tune with your body, you know something's going to come up. And the way that I think now, it's got to be preparational, and so. When I, um, I want, I want them to accept responsibility and, but also to, to, um, I, I should be awarded what disability is there for people that Mm -hmm. went through what I did. And so anyway, um, I have, um, a person found them for me, found Mm -hmm. her for me. I've been seeing her for 
I want to say it'll be a year in February. And uh, I've made strides, you know, on a personal level, you know, uh, as a person, you know, working with her. Yeah. And you said you're fighting the NFL. I'm just kind of curious. We got the football season coming up and what are your thoughts as we go into a football season? Are you someone who doesn't even watch football? Do you still watch it? But maybe that um, viewership looks different than most people. What, what does that look like for you? Yeah, so I, I do watch a little bit of football. Not a lot. I'm not a TV guy. Um, I do like to turn it on as background noise to try to take my my mind off. So if I'm not sleeping, I'll turn on, you know, the TV. But anyway, the, the you know, football is – um go what, what i'm sorry i just lost my train of thought but um yeah basically we, i mean basically do do you still watch football i mean as you probably know uh hbo hard knocks has you know highlighted the detroit lions and i know you played with dan campbell and he's you know he's the coach and have you followed that at all no i don't i didn't follow because hard knocks is extra because i think it's hbo so yeah, I yeah. Pay extra for it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, I, we're actually, my, I'm taking my family out to a game, uh, November in November to the Packers lions game at home. Nice. And yeah. Dan's still a friend of mine, but, um, my kids are into it. So, yeah. and now they, they understand what dad did. So I try to, um, partake in, you know, if they want to watch a little football sure, sure. and stuff like that, but I'm just now probably to the point to where. I'm not as bitter as I used to be. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, I don't, I'm not going to give them my one viewership so that they get more money from, <laughs> from, from sponsors. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. But, and, and I think that also shows that you are farther along in your recovery process. You know, a lot of times people say that you've recovered from your trauma or you're recovering from your trauma when you can, when you can talk about it or you can experience things like for you, it's football, right? Like you can experience it without having a lot of negative thoughts and you can just, uh, look at it objectively, right? Right. And I think that says a lot about your recovery. You know, it, it made me think, you know, Dan Campbell is the coach of the Lions now, and there's been just, you know, interesting and, and a lot of controversy about the styles of coaching this year because you have Dan Campbell, who's like old school, like we're going to hit during training camp. And we have Nathaniel Hackett in Denver, and he's like the opposite. Like they never hit, right? And so if you were to play again, would you want to play for a Dan Campbell or, an, or a Nathaniel Hackett? I would play for Dan Campbell. I actually when he <laughs> came out on his press conference. I texted yeah. him. I said, man, I'm ready to suit up for you. I'm a four year old <laughs> washed up rancher, but I'll still give That's you what fun. I got. And so I'm, I'm the old school guy. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously there's, they've got a lot more uh, protection now as far as, you know, how they can hit when they can hit how much they can hit. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I'm I'm definitely I'm on the Campbell train. What do they call him? Uh, uh, MCDC, Motor City Dan Campbell. Yeah, okay, that's a cool, cool stuff. little nickname. <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting because both coaches, because I've listened to uh, press conferences from both coaches, and they both say the same thing. There's research to back up what I'm doing. Yeah, which is funny, right? They both have research to back it up, and uh, but it's just a different style. And well, you know, too, and I think I think you can do. So Dan's got a young team and um, I don't know what Denver's team, if they're a veteran team, but you can get away with veterans, you know, leadership. And, and then also the guys know the, what yeah. expected out of them to where you cannot hit a lot. Yeah. And the young guys, you got to find out what you got. You yeah. Know? So, 
you know, it's two different kind of probably teams. And I don't know, I, I don't follow Denver. I actually grew up kind of a Broncos fan just because, you know, Denver's yeah. a city. And so, um, but I don't follow a whole lot of teams. I do follow Detroit because Dan's there. Yeah. And that's funny. That's kind of what Dan said too. Like, this is who we have to be. There's like this, um, you know, based on the players that we have and our identity, like this, this has to be who we are as a team. So it's interesting, interesting that you said that because I think you're accurate. I mean, Denver is more of a, a veteran team and they have probably more talent on the Denver team. And so they can, um, they just have a different identity. Right. Yeah. And I think there's different, uh, different paths to winning. Right. And we'll see, we'll see how it works out for both of them. So just, you know, as we're kind of wrapping up here, you know, we have a lot of different types of listeners who will listen to this podcast and, you know, this is an opportunity for you to help people and, and just share thoughts on different things. And so, what would you share to whoever's listening? You know, I think the thing is, is, is no matter how you sustain or, or how a mental illness comes up, I mean, you got to find a way to, um, one, release it to people, you know, release it out so that you can, can, can get better, whether that be seeing somebody asking for help, um, but you've got to seek it because, I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, I think everybody's more worried about what's going on in their life. You know what I mean? So somebody's mm-hmm. not going to come up and say, hey, I really think you need help. Um, and, and the people that are listening, if they don't have mental health, be more aware of people that are suffering from it. And I, I, I'm not asking to be like overly sympathetic, but it's real, you know, and these people aren't faking it and they're going through some stuff. And I think if people would sit down and talk to them, they would understand like what they deal with on day to day basis. And it's, and it may seem little to them, but it's huge to the person that's going through it. And so, you know, it's a two way street, you know, ask for help and also help. So there's stuff that we, I mean, everybody should be proactive for, for mental health. And I, and I think it's a problem that's really plaguing our country, you know? And so um, I just ask that they, they one, be understanding, but also to the people that are suffering from that they seek help, you know, yeah. what I mean? and, and, and be receptive to what is being asked of you. You know, yeah, it's, it's so interesting because when we leave our house, we learn to put on a face, right? Because we, we want to seem normal and we want to fit in and people oftentimes, unless they really know you, they don't know what you're going through. And, you know, I think sometimes we just need to be more tuned in to the people around us because there's, there's cues, but we're, we're not really looking for them a lot of times because we're so focused on ourselves. Like we, we, as a society, we're so focused on ourselves. Yeah, like even when we have conversations, I think that a lot of times you really listen to a conversation and both people are just really talking about themselves. And I think that if people can just be more tuned in and focused on others more often, I think we can catch some of those things. And when, and, and when you're asking somebody how they're doing, like that's such a superficial thing that we do all the time. Like, hey, how are you? Good. How how are you? But really, you know, finding people that you can truly check in with and let them know, hey, I'm asking you how you're doing. Like, not just, just you know, as a superficial, like, hello, like I'm actually asking you, how are you doing? And check in with people. I think that would help as well. You know, like, like going back to our conversation earlier, um, me speaking out, and talking about this with, you know, uh, local news stations, um, the USA Today, the article that was in the USA Today, I've gotten letters um, Mm -hmm. from people that have gone through it, and they've thanked me, because 
they think they're alone, you know what I mean? And they don't want to do it. And so if you're in a position of, I guess, a leadership position to where people look up to you, you need to be proactive with it. I just got a call today um, from a father um, over by Bozeman whose kid's suffering from it, asking for guidance to go, you know, where to go and how to do it and, and stuff. And I'm, and, and, and it, unfortunately I'm not a professional, right? <laughs> so you try to push them in the right direction. And then also I just, I tell them that, you know, my story is different than maybe your sons or yourself, you know what I mean? But at the end of the day, so you might, my way of coming out of what I went through is going to be different than, than how you're, you're going to do it, but you got to find what's going to work for you. Yeah. So I'll, I'll point you in the right direction, but it might not work for you, but don't give up, seek something else, you know? And so, yeah. um, it's, it's, it, this has been kind of a, a real humbling. And I've, and I've, I think the thing too, is I've let myself be vulnerable. Yeah. Um, and but at the same time, I think that shows a little bit of strength too. You know what no, I mean? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, to put yourself out there like this, like we we kind of almost had like a therapy session, you and I. Yeah, right. right. Where the difference is anyone can listen to it, right? Like right. so that's that's very vulnerable. And I, I you know, I certainly do appreciate that. You know, I do want to highlight one more thing because I'm a big advocate, as you heard in my trailer, uh exercise and diet and being outside you know there's this fancy term in the field it's called behavioral activation and it's for people who are depressed it's essentially activate yourself do something right and so how has exercise being in the sun be uh, you're you're very active right you've been doing stuff with cattle and hay all day you know it's not like the typical going to the gym and and working out but you're getting aerobic exercise you're getting strength training how do you feel like that's helping your recovery I think it helps it helps a ton. Like I haven't picked up a weight since I retired. Yeah. Um, but I like to go out and hike and 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 bow hunt. And I don't not, when I say hunt, I guess I I should say just I walk my bow around and get into elk and yeah. just watch them in their environment. Yeah. And I think that the next thing too with with the the exercise and being outdoors is being in tune with your environment, right? Yeah. So you're seeing all this stuff happening in front of you that otherwise you would have never paid attention to. And so for me to like, just the way an ant crawls across the terrain, you know what I mean? Like we're, we're, we're humans and we can run and we can jump and we can climb and stuff. And you watch this ant navigate while it's carrying a a branch, you know, that's times its size over rocks and through valleys. And, you know, so I always try to relate to, to, you know, to those kind of things your therapist probably uses this term but that's called mindfulness right like right. being connected with what's in front of you and what do most people do these days when they're even with their family they're looking at their phones right yeah like, i hate that and i i've been working on that so much for myself because you can be I've, I've known people to be in beautiful places in the world and and instead of enjoying what's around them they're looking at their phone and, and not being mindful and focused on even the little things in life that are miraculous in a construction zone today. It's funny you bring that up because yeah. it's something I noticed. And, and, and at times I can be terrible with my phone too. And, and like you, I'm working on it. But anyway, <laughs> seven out of the eight first cars were all on their phones while they're stopped with the guy holding their sign. Yeah. And I'm like thinking it's just, and, and you look around at it and you're like, man, you know, 
we do take a lot for granted. You know, when we live in beautiful areas, we take we take our scenery for granted. But you know, I think that the the thing that and why I enjoy when I go out hunting is my phone's off. I'm in the environment, and I think people um, need to to be a little more. I think it's been the downfall of a lot of our problems is these yeah. phones. Yeah, so, for sure, for sure. Going out in the environment and 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 out in the woods and and just being out there for you know I spend a good solid fourteen days, two weeks getting out and and watching everything the birds the air the noises the sounds the thermals um the temperature change the sun and and uh so it like like we were talking earlier it, it's all a part of my medicine and a part of yeah. my recovery yeah and that's perfectly said you know i i run like that's my medicine and not to brag but i can run three miles and <laughs> but if i don't run I, you know if I don't run one day, I'm fine. If I don't run two days, but like by that third day, I'm like, I need to get out there. Yeah. And you don't want to be around me. If it's like four or five days, you don't want to get around me. Here's the problem. I'm 42 <laughs> years old now. <laughs> my knees are saying, I don't know if I can do this much longer. My Achilles are saying, you probably got about a couple more months of doing this. So I got to find a new activity. Cause it's really the, you know, it's, it's the running, but it's just the aerobic. And there's been a lot of research about aerobic exercise and the benefits for mental health, specifically uh, depression. So I got to find new ways to do aerobic exercise. Maybe it's swimming maybe it's cycling. I don't know, but if I don't get that, I'm a hot mess. So I gotta, I gotta find some new ways here pretty soon because my, my clock is ticking on running. Yeah. My wife's a marathon runner, so I get oh, it. Okay, yeah. so she, she loves to run and that's her medicine too. So, you know, before like, uh, it would inconvenience me if I have to watch the kids while she goes for a run. Oh, yeah. Now it's like, like in your situation where I want her to go run. So she, you know, she's happy. Right. right? So it <laughs> yeah. gives her a chance to release and it gives me a chance to spend time with my children. Yeah, so. You probably finally made that connection at some point where she didn't run for a couple of days and then she seems a little grumpier than usual. Hey babe, <laughs> why don't you go for a run? <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, we better get out of here before we get ourselves into trouble. Casey, thank you for being a guest on the show, for sharing your story, a story that's going to help and inspire people. And for you, keep putting in that work. It's a journey, as we've been talking about. That brings us to the end of the show. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button. The All In Your Head podcast is available on Spotify, Pandora, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and probably a few other places. Thanks for listening, y'all. You have just listened to the All In Your Head podcast. Learn more by following Jamie Glick on LinkedIn or by subscribing to the Mental Health Training Camp YouTube channel. If you are experiencing a mental health crisis, you can call now or text 988 to get connected to free confidential support. Thanks for listening.